take your Bibles with you this evening and turn with me to Hosea chapter 1. We are concluding Hosea chapter 1 as we consider verses 10 and 11 as well as verse 1 of chapter 2 this evening. Hosea chapter 1 beginning in verse 10 will be the beginning of our text. But before we hear the reading and preaching of it, join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that without your work in us, we would be blind to your truth. We wouldn't understand it. We would be similar to the world in that we would think it was foolishness. But yet by your Spirit's work, we see Jesus for who he is. We see all of your wondrous works, and we praise you for it. Oh, Lord, we pray for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, even now as we open this portion and consider this portion of Hosea chapter 1. We pray for your Spirit's work in our hearts, even now we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, the, the lures of idolatry draw us away from relationships that should be of preeminent importance to us. And those relationships that one would rightly say, this is so sacred that there is no way that it would that it would be left or forsaken. And such is true of the sacred bond of marriage between a man and a woman. It begins with much God-given joy and love and loyalty that satisfies the husband and wife together. However, with the right lures and, and with the right time, the affections of the heart are stirred and tugged in other directions, and idols in the heart begin to break down the wholehearted commitment to and enjoyment of one another through various conflicts and sins. What is sacred becomes expendable as the protections are worn down. <coughs> Another sacred relationship that must be of preeminent importance is that which we have with God, and that is even first and foremost. There's a connection and commonality between these two relationships, isn't there? For the reality of God's relationship with his people is one that is based in covenant, established with covenant bond, covenant obligation, covenant protection, covenant blessing as well as deadly consequences for breaking the covenant. The reality of this covenant relationship is revealed within 
the bonds of the covenant marriage that God has entered into with his people, his bride, his church. And God gave this prophecy through Hosea to show Israel and to show us today in very tangible ways what unfaithfulness, what adultery against the living God truly is, even what it looks like. For God was and can never be unfaithful. He is perfect and true in every way. However, his sinful people were all too often wayward and tempted and lured, turning their backs against him. And what would happen because of their sin? What would their punishment be? Well, as God commanded Hosea to marry a harlot to make the picture very real for the people, Remember the names that God gave to each of their three children towards the end of chapter 1 and in our preceding context of these verses here tonight. For their punishment begins with the meaning of their names. The firstborn was a male, right? Jezreel was to be his name, meaning God scatters. Their second child, Lo Ruhamah, means no pity. She has received no mercy, is what it meant, and her name meant. And thirdly, lo ami, not my people. Now the meanings of Hosea and Gomer's children uh, would be the future of Israel as God would withdraw his gathering and planting of them, as he would withdraw his mercy toward them in love, as he would remove his covenant from them. We see his most terrible threat there. This is a most terrible thing that could happen to the covenant people of God, that their covenant God would say, you are not my people, and I am no longer your God. Further, they would be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And yet, God's undeserved grace, his love, and and mercy in our salvation remains front and center here. We must never forget that God loves us in Christ, not because of what we are, but in spite of what we are. And the same was true for his people in Israel. With eminent judgment against their sin would come the promise of restoration. And this is what we find here tonight in our text. And so let us... Consider Hosea's words regarding the unmeasurable children of Israel in verse 10a. God's covenant restored in the second half of that verse, verse 10b. And God's people being gathered under one head in verses 11 through chapter 2, verse 1. Look with me at 10a. He says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered. Now we've heard this wonderful covenant language in Scripture before, haven't we? This should remind us of God's promise to Abraham when he stayed Abraham up his hand from killing Isaac in Genesis 22, 16 through 18. There we read, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants 
as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Beloved, obedience brings blessing from the Lord. We see that very clearly here. Abraham's descendants would be numerous. Divine blessing would be evident in the nations through Abraham's seed because of Abraham's obedience. And in Genesis 32, verses 11 and 12, we see that Jacob trusts and stands on this promise as he prays for deliverance from Esau. He calls out and he says, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. And notice verse 12. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Again, in Jeremiah 33, 19 through 22, we, we hear this same language again. Beginning in verse 19, God spoke to Jeremiah regarding the people keeping covenant and the blessing that would come. And he said, And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. Notice verse 22. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. Beloved, we see these three instances, these three time and again, where the Lord is saying the same thing, issuing the same promise over again to Abraham, to Jacob, to, and through Jeremiah. But here in Hosea, we find God proclaiming the same promise as his mercy is remembered, notice, in the midst of wrath. Because that's what we just saw in the preceding verses. His wrath was coming upon them, as would be evident in, in the names of the three children that Hosea and Gomer had. Remember Habakkuk's plea also. In Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. He said, O Lord, I have your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, whereas Habakkuk made a plea to the Lord for mercy in the midst of his divine wrath, we find that there is no such plea in Hosea. And yet God promises his mercy to his people. Beloved, God's rejection of Israel wouldn't be total or final. The same hand that would bring judgment upon them is stretched out to heal in these verses. God remembers his covenant. He remembers his promises and is faithful to keep them. We must never forget that. And Hosea goes on to share God's promised restoration of the covenant 
in the second half of verse 10. Look there. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. You know, our thoughts are taken back to the birth and naming of Lo-Ami here, where God, through his prophet, told of the severance of the covenant with Israel for their adulterous sin. You are not my people. However, note that in the same place it would be said, you are sons of the living God. The promise of restoration was partially fulfilled when those remaining in the north were joined with those in the south under King Hezekiah. We read in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 11, Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart, to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. And later in verses 18 and 22 of Second Chronicles 30, we read this. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And notice verse 20. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they ate throughout the, seven, the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confessions to the Lord God of their fathers. So what do we see here? We see this blessing coming upon the people as they came together. This is the evidence. This is the details of what is being told of in verse 10b under Hezekiah as a partial fulfillment. But we also know that in the New Testament, this promise is applied in Christ to the church, the true Israel. As the Gentiles were brought back, or excuse me, brought into the fold. The Apostle Paul quoted this passage even in Hosea as he told the church in Rome in Romans 9, 24-26, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. And so again, we see 
Not only as under Hezekiah in the Old Testament, we see Judah and Israel coming together and the remnants of those people under Hezekiah. But here we see in the church that the Lord is bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together in one body. And we who are not the people of God, who are outside the commonwealth, who are outside the covenant of promise, have been brought near and have been brought and have been called sons of the living God. The Apostle Peter also confirms this to be true when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know, it's also important to recognize the significant piece of the people of God being called the sons of the living God. For idolatry is death. Idolatry is death in stark contrast to the life that one has in a saving relationship with the living God. For Hosea pointed Israel to the dead, lifeless relationship that they had in following idols, in going after the Baals. And yet God gives life, as He is the only true and living God. And so we find this to be wonderfully true in the living relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. For as Peter proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. So too, being united to him, we who were once dead in sin, following dead idols, are now ransomed and redeemed as sons and daughters of the living God. Even as we just read and heard in Romans 9, 26. But Hosea then goes to point out, And talk about God's people being gathered under one head, beginning in verse 11. Look there. He says, Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appointed for themselves, excuse me, and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Israel. Again, the language here of Israel and Judah, two kingdoms that were biting and in great conflict with each other. Their being gathered together points us to the restoration and the reunion that we considered earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 30. But notice that when they would be gathered together, they would do what? They would appoint for themselves one head. And why is this significant? Well, it marks the full reconciliation between the two kingdoms and their covenant God. Pointing the faithful saints to the rule of King David. And of course, this also points us to the ultimate fulfillment in the church, being fully reconciled to God under the one head, the Son of David, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus is and must be then at the center of unity for God's spiritual Israel, the church. John Calvin said this, The church then obeys God when all, from the first to the last, consent to one head. For it is not enough to be constrained unless all willingly offer themselves to Jesus Christ. 
We are all, as the children of God, we are part of Christ's one body, his one bride, his one church, under his headship. Remember how the headship of Christ was foretold by the prophet of Micah and was recounted by the priests and the scribes of Herod when he asked where Jesus would be born. As recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, they quoted Micah saying, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so therefore God would command the people under this one head, within the mind and heart of full reconciliation, for them to make two important statements to each other, expressing God's love to his unfaithful people. Look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Again, emphasizing the restoration of this covenant relationship. They are the people of God. They are the recipients of great mercy. For they committed great sin against their God and their adulterous actions in turning away from him. And so the indictments of lo ruhama, no mercy would be received, and lo ami, not my people, would be reversed. And so I'll leave you with this. Always remember that the living, covenant-making God is also the one who is faithful to keep his covenant and to remember his covenant and promises. He is the one who is faithful to remind generation after generation of his people about these wonderful truths. He is the God who holds his people accountable to being faithful to him alone and brings judgment and chastening against sin. And yet another reminder that is important for us is that his mercy is remembered in the midst of his wrath. His mercy is remembered in the midst of his wrath. Oh, how marvelous is our Lord Jesus Christ. That in his mercy and love, he would come and take our place and endure the wrath of his Father justly due upon us. And he would take that upon himself. That our great sins would be paid for and that we would be reconciled to the Father. And so take joy in the living relationship that you have with Him, the true and the living God, because of Christ's work for you. But also joy in Jesus' headship over you. Joy in His headship over the church. He is the great King and head of the church. It is Him and to Him alone. It is Him alone who we serve. It is Him alone who we worship and adore. He is the great ruler, not a tyrannical one, but the one who has come to shepherd His people. And He does that perfectly and all so well. Amen. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together.